Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Ken Wei. OpenAI Sora triggers debates about the latest so-called alien intelligence with the rapid advances in artificial intelligence. I talked with Kenny Stanley and Joe Lehman, two former OpenAI scientists who co-authored the book Why Greatness Cannot Be Planned. After leaving OpenAI, they are continuing their research and analysis about how AI can better serve human society. Let's listen to my latest conversation. Ken and Joe, it's great to keep up with you and also catch up with you. It was last year that we talked with one another with your great book. Uh, so now uh, we have already seen some new development. The uh, latest uh, development is uh, Sora. You see the excitement in the world and also the curiosity about it. Now, what do you think is really supporting it to become a reality? It's kind of one step along a continuing trajectory. And from one point of view, although it's certainly like viscerally very surprising to see, um, from another point of view, um, we maybe should expect that video models would continue to get improved, uh, to, to get improved. Um, and what makes it happen is increasing experience with diffusion models and transformers, these two big technologies coupled with a lot of technical ability and compute, I'd say, is probably the main ingredients. I think it's a, a very impressive achievement. It's true that it seems ultimately inevitable given the trajectory we're on, but I think I'm surprised that we were able to do it this soon. And the compute part, I think, is interesting to me because I, I think I would have thought it, something like that would require too much compute, but apparently I'm wrong. And there is enough compute to do that, which surprises me because, you know, the amount of data in actual video that would be necessary to attain that level of mastery is substantial. So apparently somebody has a collection like that and the means to process it. And so I, I wasn't aware of that, but now I am. So um, I pushed my expectations forward a bit. Uh, having said that though, um, we have seen uh, different umbrellas, even with OpenAI, the place that you used to work for, both of you. For example, with ChatGPT and now with Sora and some other directions, as you know, are also developing at the same time. So what do you think as to some of the most important and significant uh, umbrellas with the latest development of Sora? Yeah, it's hard to, you know, to, to make a, a confident guess, but I wouldn't be surprised, for example, if this was integrated into ChatGPT, for example, like that you could upload videos. I think... Um, Google also had a model recently called Gemini 1.5 or Gemini yes. Ultra, I forget which, which could, you could already upload videos of some certain length and it could kind of integrate that into their chat offering. So I would imagine that's probably what we also see uh, through ChatGPT. I guess similarly with audio, with um, the, the Whisper models that were released a while back, I guess those maybe already are integrated in ChatGPT, but I, I can imagine just... Um, that seems like our, the flagship product right now of, of OpenAI and, and having lots of things kind of integrated into that would make sense to me. Yeah, to me, it raises the question of how, maybe from a research perspective, of how far you can push this kind of technology. I think that's an interesting question. When we see something like Sora, we are dazzled, you know, by the results, but but it's still not perfect. And so it can it makes mistakes still. You know, some people were talking about the, the chessboard that had seven by seven uh, squares instead of eight by eight, things like that. And, you know, at the same time as 
these kinds of mistakes, they've been hinting and saying that this can serve as perhaps what they're calling a, wor a world model, um, which means that like the internal representations of this model that can generate these images perhaps knows something about our world, something that text models would not know because they haven't been exposed to the visual world. And so that implies that that world model will integrate at some level someday that that's the intent with the text model, as uh, Joel alluded. But it's not just to be able to do tasks with text and with images. It's also to make the whole thing smarter in aggregate. And I think that's an interesting question is the extent to which this whole integration really works and boosts up the intelligence to a level closer to human, taking into consideration that we see that there are still these kinds of mistakes. And the, the kind of question for me is like, are, are those mistakes minor things that just more data would eventually smooth over? Or are they more symptomatic of a deeper issue that requires a bigger a bigger type research advance that would uh, make those go away? Because you know those can be related to the hallucinations we see on the text side. And on the text side, you can do things like reinforcement learning through human feedback, like showing it examples of things that humans think are better or worse. This I think is more challenging in the and the video on the video side uh, to do stuff like that. And so I, I, I think it raises a lot of interesting research questions, you know, in terms of how far it could be pushed. And, and the other thing I just add that's more kind of practical is Joel mentioned audio. I, I agree audio is another one of these umbrellas. But to me, music is a really interesting part mm -hmm. of audio because like the first thing I think of is if you see these videos are so impressive but video is so complex, so it's really hard, and it's hard to get more than a minute. I mean, it must be very expensive, but audio is so much cheaper and mm -hmm. less complex, and yet we derive so much pleasure from audio, I mean, through things like music. Um, I just think somebody is just going to absolutely kill music um, at some point soon. Maybe it's not on OpenAI's agenda, but but if they can do this with, with video, I'm sure that you can do something uh, amazing uh, mm. with music. How much do you think, as when you're observing what's happening. Uh, does the system sort of understand, uh, if we could use that word, the physical world that we humans are living in? My inference from what I've seen is that it has some level of understanding, but it's not our level of understanding. And so it's somewhere between, you know, if you said it doesn't understand anything and human level understanding, it's somewhere between those two. Uh, but it's not like it's just a s stupider human. It's actually not like a human. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like an alien intelligence. You know, humans don't have a perfect physical understanding of the world either. No. Um, like, you know, things like, like Newtonian physics or quantum physics are, are not obviously intuitively apparent to most people um, just by observing the world for 30 years. Like, that's not obvious. So we don't really understand how the world works ourselves. So it's not necessarily mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have a good understanding just because it doesn't know physics. Mm. Um, but it does make mistakes that indicate some very exotic misunderstandings that we wouldn't have. Like when like a pack of dogs turns into more dogs or a dog doubles into two dogs or something. Yeah. Like we know those things never would happen in our imagination. Um, but it, it makes these kind of slip ups. Um, so it's just a different kind of set of misunderstandings. But with an overall general amount, I mean, so, some amount of understanding that's mm. somewhat general, so, so probably quite useful. Tell me more about that common sense, you know, uh, because this has a lot to do with uh, uh, human vis-a-vis -vis, uh, uh, alien intelligence, uh, if I could use that phrase. I don't know whether that's accurate or not. Joe, how do you see that? 
Yeah, like Ken, I would characterize it as an alien intelligence, and that would kind of explain why, from a common sense point of view, they fail in ways that are much different than, than we do. And to dive more deeply into that, our mode of perception, how we understand things, is guided by evolution, which is guided by a context where we are, we've evolved to survive and reproduce. There's a particular thing that our perceptual system is aligned with. And so like object permanence, um, that things don't disappear from reality when they're you know, obscured by something, is something we learned at an early age. It's probably primed within us because it's such an important concept to our survival. And in contrast, these systems are, are trained in a much different way, not through interacting with the world, but from, from learning to predict one frame from another frame of video. And that's a, just a very different way of, of kind of crafting a brain. And it's learning everything from scratch in a sense. It doesn't have the same biases that we have in, in like how we are probably you know, tuned to certain, you know, s certain things are salient, certain things would happen or wouldn't happen. And so it's interesting just almost just from like a philosophy of mind to understand like there's a broad space of possible intelligences. And the way that these things are trained is, is often just through the convenience of it. So we have all this video data um, that we've compiled as a, a species on the internet. And it's one of the simplest objectives you can create is just to, given some piece of video, predict the, you know, the next couple of frames of that video. And that is a simple objective, easy to train, and you keep scaling up data, you get really incredible results. But what you do find um, is something that is going to be unlike us in the way that it sees the world and, and perceives. And it may well be that with more data, some of these kinds of um, insanities kind of get uh, brushed over. But again, I guess, you know, that would be kind of the history of how things have gone on the tech side for the most part, although they still kind of failed kind of strange ways and hallucinating ways too. So um, it'll be interesting to see, um, I think as Ken hinted at, whether the same technologies that help to um, reshape the intelligence of, of like the text models with this reinforcement learning human feedback, how that paradigm has or will be or maybe already has been applied to more align its understanding with, with our common sense. But, but that is still a problem that we're having, the limits of language and our understanding of the sophistication of the language vis-a-vis -vis the next uh, development stage of uh, whether it's Sora or something else uh, in the AI direction. Tell me more about your thoughts on that uh, as a scientist. Uh, Joe, if I start with you and then I go to Ken. So it's certainly true that there are certain things that are hard to describe in language. And Ken kind of alluded to music earlier. It'd be hard to kind of really evoke all the qualities of music through language. And one way you kind of get around that sometimes is through iteration with language. So in ChatGPT, for example, you could kind of have a conversation about an image and it's, it's generating an image and you give feedback to refine it and so forth. Mm. Um, and so it could kind of iteratively get into more of the, the quality that you want. Um, but there's also with these models that are based on what's called diffusion, um, there's lots of different interfaces into that model, one of which is, is natural language. But other might be you, you might seed it with an image. You might seed it with um, a beginning video and have it continue or go actually in, in, in their technical paper, they described actually kind of like you could actually describe, make it go backwards and, and generate from this end frame the, the video that leads up to it, which is really interesting. There are lots of different affordances and probably we'll have to come up with more of them to circumvent the that language is, is sometimes not the best way to describe the thing that you want. Absolutely. Sometimes when I face my family members, I have the same limitations. For example, during the Chinese New Year, when we're celebrating, you know, there's always a, a tr lost in translation, even in the same language. Um, that I can understand. Uh, so to you, Ken. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I think, like, I think that you could get pretty far with language if you had an incredibly powerful AI uh, on the other end. Like, like if, like, like Joel said about iter, what Joel said about iteration could be very powerful. You know, because I, I think you can have a vision in your mind about like a piece of art or something you'd like to, or even a video you'd like to create, maybe an artistic video. Uh, so you're imagining all these like these characters and the, the the background and you just have this this vision but you don't have the ability to create that yourself but you could describe it with some language but it's true the language would be inadequate to capture everything about your vision because it's hard to put it all into words like you said but so you'd get a first iteration of it you'd get a, a first mm. draft and it would be not exactly the way you, you imagined it mm. but it would be some approximation and if you could just tell it no, but actually, I wanted the like the green should be really green, you know, and and the actor should move with exaggerated movements. Now, now update it and make it more like that. I think you could go real far with that kind of iteration. I, I'm not sure there is anything that would be impossible, right. um, but it would take an incredible level of intelligence. And so, so we're not. I don't think we're there. That there, there's going to be that. Um, right. I could be wrong though, but I don't think we're right. We're right about to see that. And the other part of it, I think, is you know the. The idea that video is not just uh, a visual presentation, but it has logic to it. Like there's mm -hmm. like a plot, you know, like a movie has a plot or even a short show. And that like people storyboard things to 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 imagine like they, they will write a script or something. And it is usually written in language, but these models don't seem capable of thinking at that level yet. Like they mm -hmm. don't have the ability to assemble a plot like they can just sort of present a scene. And I wonder when or, or if if they will ever be able to like create an entire movie just from text, something yeah. like that. that. That's a bigger problem. Another question is the resources being put into it. Uh, when I say resources, uh, I mean data that's been used uh, for training this model and also for the GPU that's being used, the energy that is needed in order to uh, generate the whole process. Um, and also, at the same time, uh, the kinds of the amount of, uh, of uh, uh, videos that, that have been fed into it in order to come up with the final products, quote unquote. Uh, and of course, eventually, if it becomes a tool for common folks, you know, the cost of it really determines uh, whether it can be used or not as well. So I know this is a still a a certain kind of initial stage. I don't know how far OpenAI has already developed before they reveal it to the public or Gemini 1.5. I'm sure it's much more than what they revealed. But so I want to ask you about that, about the so-called resources issue. Yeah, it, I mean, it's there must be incomprehensible vast amounts of resources used for this. But I, I don't know the exact amount. But you mm -hmm. know, when I think about like how many videos would you have to watch to you know actually understand like this, the, the almost every kind of physical dynamical interaction that can happen on planet Earth, like that's a lot of videos. So it, it almost seems so much that the amount of computational power needed to process those videos seemed to me, like I said earlier in the interview, it, it seemed to me maybe beyond our capacity, but the fact that they did do it and they succeeded, I mean, it suggests that they've found efficiencies, meaning that they've found ways to reduce the computational burden despite the vastness of the data, which is the kind of trick that's necessary um, to be able to make something like this uh, um, practical and, and efficient. So I think there are there are tricks that can be done, although I don't know what the, the tricks are, 
right now and they're probably working very hard on those kinds of tricks but but you know what what, what i start to think about is like the bigger like one minute is a long time i think we haven't seen that before generating like a one minute video but what about one hour mm. like i just i don't know if there's enough video in the world to to actually have the, the sample size necessary to really learn to create coherent one hour videos and so I don't know if at some point, like it's just, it's the data is not sufficient and something else is necessary, like like some kind of internal cognitive understanding of mm. like the logic of the videos. It's not just looking at raw videos and integrating them. I can imagine that, you know, what they would do is, is try to find all the tricks they can. And uh, I mean, OpenAI has, you know, many, many GPUs and just, you know, throw as much as you can at it to see where you get. Um, one of the plots in their paper has is the comparison of kind of like the baseline compute versus 4x compute versus like 32x compute when they how much um, compute they're throwing through models and just you can just see the qualitative differences as it kind of goes and uh, so that just being a you know a really really powerful ingredient of making these models work at the moment and right. it would be nice if if it didn't require so much compute um to do so and in some ways maybe you know human brains use less compute and maybe there's you know hidden efficiencies that more fundamental research could yet unlock but uh, as for now i think this is what we have both of you are the authors of the book, Why Greatness Cannot Be Planned. And, and by the way, it's doing very well here in China. A lot of people are fascinated by your arguments in the book. And now we see both of you are becoming entrepreneurs. Ken, you are doing uh, interesting things uh, regarding social media and its relations with uh, artificial intelligence. And Joe, you are doing something about uh, intelligence and also human psychology. All of these are fascinating areas. Tell me uh, where you are now and how scientists like you from earlier with uh, OpenAI and now develop your own field, uh, looking at the future of uh, uh, generative AI and also AGI. My interest in the intersection of AI and psychology and, and the drive to do something there. I'm still in the ideation phase and I haven't launched a business and um, seeing where that goes, but it's about worry, worry about generative AI and how it impacts us in society and the tension between AI giving us more of what we want, sometimes at the expense of what we need. And so I think many people right now are, you know, many people are optimistic about where AI will take us, which I, I have some optimism that it's going to do really great things for us at the same time that it's moving really quickly and it's kind of scary at times how quickly it's moving, how much our lives are changing. So I think um, you're seeing a lot of interest also in kind of how can we shape the impact of this technology, whether it's through private business or, or in government to, to, for human benefit. And that's something that's uh, close to my heart. Yeah, I think I'm uh, basically, I guess I would describe myself as just still absorbing the implications of all of these advances recently, not so much from a technical perspective, but more from like a, a social or moral perspective, mm -hmm. like where, what does this all mean yeah, in terms of the advancement of society? and the role of AI in human flourishing um, and, you know, what, yeah, like, I mean, similar to what Joel said, but, but I think like by, in a way, stepping into social media, which can be uh, facilitated through AI has allowed me to step back and take a moment to think about like what I really hope for the actual hardcore AI research to do in, in this world right now, um, you know, because I, I sort of have decided to focus on using AI to support human to human interaction, um, which I think is an, an easy thing to embrace. Like it's, it's clear that humans interacting in a productive way and, 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 and in a meaningful way with other humans is a good thing for humans. So I can, I can feel like, okay, this, this is a, this is a strong, a strongly 
social, strong social good for applying AI. But what does it mean to have like a human level, powerful AI that, that can think at the level of a human like that, that I'm still trying to get my head around. You wrote the book, Why Greatness Cannot Be Planned. That inspired a lot of people to think more about not only the technical part of it, as both of you illustrated, but especially important, what does it mean to all of us? Especially for the common folks who are not computer scientists today, or who did not now uh, work for OpenAI or uh, you know Google and other things, but to, to, to know what they can do to prepare themselves for something bigger. So do you have any suggestions? Because we have seen since uh, Soro was being announced, this kind of wow factor now turning into in the next, uh, in over the past few days, into what to do, you know, kind of uh, sentiment. So are you having some suggestions for those who are watching our program today or watching us online as to how they can be better prepared? What is the best and more sophisticated way for them to understand what's going on? And also, what does it mean for uh, their life, uh, if you can, I mean, from the perspective you can. There's such a, a range of implications that it, it's hard to know where to start, but uh, um, like you can look at the short term or the long term. I mean, the long term is very hard to talk about because like you could look at Soria today and say that this is nothing compared to what we'll see five years from now. But if we just, and it's very hard to say what we'll see five years from now, but if we just focus on what we see today, you know, I, I, I think one positive way to think about it is that you know, there was a time before there was paint. And so if you could have been a great painter, like you would be out of luck. Like there was no paint in the world. It had to be invented. But once it was invented, it unlocked a new kind of art. And then that kind of art means that there's something that people who previously couldn't express themselves can now express themselves. And if you want to put a positive spin on it, I would say this might be like that. You know, it's like there are people who have visions artistic visions, maybe other kinds of visions, visions about communication and how to, how to convey information, who currently can't express themselves, even though they have these visions, this kind of technology might unlock a new kind of artist who can mm -hmm. actually now express themselves in a new way. And then if you want to be more pessimistic, you can look at the fact that, that certain jobs will become perhaps harder to come by or, or less valuable. AI replaces or diminishes the need for those jobs. And, that's the difficult friction in the transition, and that's something to, to keep an eye on and, and be aware of. And, and so try to position yourself for, for the opportunities, because there obviously will be more opportunities as well. And just make sure you're there for the opportunities. But like in the long run, I don't I, I think we, we just don't we don't know long run, like what, what to expect. I mean, if these if these AIs do become the same as people are better, I don't know what the world will be like. It's hard to prepare for a world like that. But I guess, you know, the best thing is at least try to understand what's going on. Yeah. Don't don't be ignorant of it. Someone's going to benefit from that world. Mm -hmm. um, and so you want to kind of pay attention. It's, it's easy to take for granted how profoundly it's really changed the character of our lives, how much time we spend, you know, with screens, the ways that we interact with people. And I think that this will be a similarly transformative technology. Um, so just that it, it likely will transform the quality of our life, I think. Just it's hard to imagine it not at this point, just the, the, the things that it can kind of automate or create. And that's interesting. Definitely can be scary, too. And like Ken, I think that getting experience with the tools certainly can augment your own abilities. And that's exciting. You can now, like a co-pilot for code, you can kind of now, even if you're not an expert coder, quickly make something. And images you can make 
artistic works you couldn't do before. So there's something exciting about that. Maybe another lens too is that AI probably will become like a political issue in the future about, yeah. and we, you know, each can give our voice in whatever way we can to say the things we're worried about or concerned about and, the, and what, what, how we want AI to impact our lives. And I don't know so much about the, how movements work or how, you know, how things go in that way, but, you know, we have, we have some say, hopefully, in how AI goes. And um, ideally, we don't end up in some kind of dystopia where AI is bossing us around, telling us what to do. And we, you know, I guess the more that we're aware of what the technology is like right now and where it possibly could go and that it possibly could get quite powerful, you know, it could get to be as smart as us or more um, mm -hmm. in some time frame, which is indeterminate, frighteningly, it could be, you know, so, so it's a lot of like big, big questions. And so I think it's hard to, like Ken said, put it into like a, a, a short piece of advice, um, but certainly I think it's going to, it's definitely going to change the world um, in, I think, pretty big ways. That's my latest conversation with uh, Joe and Ken, two former OpenAI scientists who are pursuing their own careers now with the latest research analysis on artificial intelligence. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei on behalf of the team. Thanks for being with us, and I'll see you tomorrow.